Welcome back, fine townsfolk, to another episode of Random Encounters. I am your host, Nick. I'm Matt. And I'm Brandon. And we are going to look at a random monster from a random monster manual and discuss. Discuss how cool it is, discuss how lame it is, discuss how creepy or adorable it is. And if you listened last week, discuss how many commas are in it. This one does not have a comma, but it does have an apostrophe. So uh, that's pretty exciting, right? Oh, that's a comma with high <laughs> hopes. That's a, that's a comma that is striving to be better than its low brethren. Absolutely. So to put that into context, our random monster manual of the day is the Pathfinder role-playing game Bestiary Number 2. And our page is 113. So I'm going to go into the little amount of flavor text that this guy has and maybe try to pull a little bit more out of the descriptions and see if you guys can guess what this thing is called. And spoiler alert, you will not. This, this four-armed creature looks like a cross between a human and a black and ochre termite. Its body and arms display glowing runes. They are natives of the Plane of Shadows and are a mysterious race of human-sized insectoids. From their partially buried hive cities rise spires and steeples adorned with alchemical fire and illusory flame, dim beacons of sanctuary in the foreboding twilight. Any fantasy name that you can think of. Bug people. <laughs> Bingo. You got it. <laughs> I was going to go with Gary. <laughs> Gary the bug people. <laughs> Uh, these are called Ditziriac. I'm sorry, what? Oh, wow. Ditziriac. D apostrophe ah. Z-I-R-I-A-K. Diphtheria. Ditziriac. Gotcha. Diphtheria. Yeah. They're a disease that makes you poop. Is that what the diphtheria does? I don't know. No, that's... That's... Dysentery. Yeah, that's yes, dysentery. Sure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so let's see. These guys are aberrations. They, their terrain is urban, and they are extraplanar. They are a CR of three, so it's not too bad. And they are neutral. They're neutral medium outsiders. They remain staunchly neutral in most affairs and are typically happy to converse with travelers via their eerie telepathy. Their own language of buzzes and chitters is an obscure one known by few outside their race. But their unknown, obscure goals lead most others to regard this race with caution. There you go. 
Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. They are, let's see, they've got the four arms. They have a weapon focus of their claw. They have combat reflexes. A little more on the physical description. They are seven feet tall, or their average is seven feet tall. Two legs, a termite-like abdomen, and a mandibled visage somewhere between that of an insect and human. Two of its arms are large and possess sharp claws, while the other two are relatively small and used for fine manipulations, not combat. Strangely, for a race native to the Realm of Shadows, the Ditziriaks have a colorful collection of runic shapes, almost like glowing tattoos upon their chitinous flesh. These runes help to denote what role in Ditziriak society each of these beings serves. So the runes basically say, Hi, I'm... How can I help you today? <laughs> Welcome to McDonald's. So they're they're kind of they're kind of cool, you know. I'm not too super familiar with the various planes, but I'm assuming the plane of shadows is probably like right above the plane of death or something like that, and it's all dark and kind of gothy. Yes, maybe. I would imagine, yeah. Which makes these guys kind of cool that they they stand out a little bit more from that. You know, you could see these glowing guys from probably a, a ways away. Well, that is really funky looking. Hmm. Right? They they look like ravers. Do you see they had four arms? Yeah, do you see the two little oh. ones kind of curled up under the chest? They're like feelers. Oh, I'm looking at a different image. Yeah. But they're like feelers, hmm. not really. No hands to them. Yeah, they, I, I just see ah, like tiny little fingers. Yes, I see. Kind of buggy fingers. Ugh. Let's see, their organization is solitary, a pair a swarm of that is 3 to 20, or a hive, which is 21 to 100. Hmm. They glow. The colorful runes that decorate their body creates a dim light in a 20-foot radius, and they have Dazzling Burst special ability. Once per day, a Ditziriac can cause its body to flare with intense, colorful light as a swift action. Non-Ditziriacs within a 20-foot radius must make a DC 13 fortitude save or be dazzled for one minute. That's like all of combat. That's crazy. Yeah, that is rough. Hmm. After using this ability, the Ditziriac's brilliant glow is extinguished for 24 hours. This ability is a light effect, and creatures that cannot see are immune to it. Kind of cool. Mm -hmm. You know, nothing super scary or anything, especially since they're kind of notedly neutral. But could be pretty cool if if you send your your players down to the to the plane of shadows and they need like a pit stop or something, you know, like they see this giant glowing city. So could be could be kind of cool flavor. Yeah. Thoughts, Matt? Initial thoughts? Well you can work in a whole hive of these or however you want a, a colony. Yeah. I think that would be a, an interesting stop on the way, I guess, if you're going into this shadow plane. Yeah, I, I think that could that could actually be really cool, whether whether the party knows specifically that they're going there or not to just kind of throw this at them as just a regular, you know, like as if on the normal plane they were just walking into a town 
random people and blacksmiths, et cetera, et cetera. But this is just completely populated by these kind of extra big bug guys. Yeah. They have their own civilization. Yeah. They have, you know, you could put quests or side quests or something in that space as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it could actually make for a pretty cool quest hub. Yep. Even kind of to get really video gamey, a halfway decent kind of starting zone, you know, to really sure. introduce them to the whole plane of shadows to begin with. Yeah, especially because you don't have the... There's no real animosity between the two sides at this point. Yeah, they seem to be kind of Sweden-esque. Yeah. But also could be pretty nasty to fight with if you really had to. I'm not sure if that really applies to Sweden or not. But the 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 dazzling burst is kind of, is kind of a cool effect. They have dark vision, they have low light vision, they have a perception of plus 9. That's really good. Their AC is 16 for a level 3. That's that's pretty good. That's mm-hmm. it feels like just a slightly above average for a 16. Two claw attacks. Oh, and a grab. That's nice. They can do a uh, Let's see, it says two claws plus six to hit, and then it's 1d6 plus one plus grab. HP of 26. They can plane shift once per day. That's really nice. To the plane of shadow only. So if you're in the plane of shadow, can you shift to a different spot, or is that specifically going into the plane of shadow? I would assume it's into the plane of shadow and that's it almost like an escape door you know yeah that's kind of what it feels like yeah they have a hundred feet of telepathy their treasure is standard they remain open to trade and diplomacy with any brave enough to travel to the plane of shadow and are valued by many both on and off their plane for their artisan's ability to weave light into tangible art and create weapons of great quality and beauty. That is cool. Yep. That's really cool. That that feels to me like a, a great a great impetus for a quest hub. Yeah. That's that's really neat. With a description like that, they're almost like the dwarves of the uh the shadow plane. Kind of, yeah. I would almost say more elves. Isn't their weaponry more of beauty and, and light and, you know, in that style? I suppose, but when you think about crafting, even though I suppose... The skill of crafting, yes. The elves... I suppose the elves are can hold their own when it comes to crafting. I, I mean, you think of, like, dwarf craftsmanship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know... And if you have to choose one race that is going to be more neutral, I would say the dwarves would be over the, the elves. Probably, oh, 100%. Yeah. The, the elves are too proud to be neutral, I think. Yeah. That's, at least that's how they've been portrayed for a very long time. How they wound up making presents for Santa Claus, I have no idea. I, oh, I was going to make a Santa joke. You, you <laughs> beat me to it. Beat me. <laughs> Brandon, initial thoughts on these guys? Anything? 
anything off the top of your head? Hearing that, and I'm, I'm sure you're looking at it right now, what, what comes to mind initially? I think they're, they're just, they're super cool and kind of creepy looking, but it's, it's, I, I kind of like the fact that they are so weird and creepy looking, but fairly harmless. I mean, in the sense that they're not looking for conflict. They're not going to seek it out and initiate it. They don't seem to have insanely difficult attacks and whatnot, but I think that they could do some damage. And on top of that, they... Let's see, their organization is... They can be organized in anywhere from solitary to hive, which is 1 to 100. So coming up on, you know, coming up to a hive of these things, that could be a problem if you make them angry. Yeah, I was going to say if you provoke them. Maybe the quest has something to do with you have to uh, go after the... uh, I don't know if it would be a queen or, you know, whatever their ruler is and try not to get, you know, just torn to pieces by the entire hive. So you're thinking you would make it a conflict. You you would require there to be conflict against these guys, you're thinking. Um... I guess maybe not require, but I feel always with the with with anything that travels or that can be organized in hives, I think it could be used as as a pretty cool challenge in a game, not necessarily a challenge of specifically fighting, but how to avoid that fight, you know him having the party use their intellect to avoid conflict with something that's far greater than they are in numbers, you know. The diplomacy route. Right. Which all too often players just go in swinging and maybe maybe they need to get burned Mm -hmm. in order to, to learn that lesson that they don't actually need to, you know? Sure, yeah. That's why Bard is one of my favorite classes is because that super high charisma allows you to, as long as the rest of the party will, will give you the chance to talk it out beforehand. Right. It allows you to, to do that, that bit of that first attempt as opposed to, again, just going and swing. Because once you, you, once you pull a blade, you'll be hard-pressed to have any other options other than hightail it or kill everybody the show of force is going to initiate yeah yeah matt thoughts pretty cool quest hub obviously as we discussed yep do you think in terms of role for autism that it could be it could be a whole since you're i don't want to call it a campaign you're your quest runs are relatively short. Yep. You could drop them start to finish right in the, the plane of shadows. Absolutely. And go from there. 
that's definitely what I would do when you could even add a bit of mystery and intrigue and whatnot in almost the royal court sense. Mm. And obviously it would add a little bit more that this is a completely foreign element too. It's not mm. elves or humans or something like that. It's it's completely different. Yeah. So give them something they know, but also add a bit more of the fantastical to it. Yeah, it's some pretty cool imagery. It leaves a lot to really, like, spice the imagination. Yep. And they could be both good and bad guys. Oh, yeah. That's what you I would, would do is is almost like you were using elves or something. You you would have, there's going to be an, the good guys, there's going to be this kind of rogue element within it. Mm. I think one of the coolest things about these guys is just the opportunity for just interesting gear that you can use mm. and treasure. And I found that especially the the kids that are well-versed in video games and things like that, like they want the loot. They will bypass yeah. combat completely if they can open a treasure chest. Yeah. So, yeah. Have you yet had enough repeat players where they've gone from one... What do you call like once the the full sesh? Like the full book is just an I guess an adventure. An adventure. Okay, so yeah. have you had enough repeat players to go from one adventure to another? Not yet. We've just finished one adventure so far and we're going to start on another one soon. It's the same party, right? It's the same party starting that that next adventure? No, each adventure you would start over at level 1. But, I mean, it's the same players. Oh, it, yeah, it definitely would be the same players. So, would you consider letting them go from 6 to, maybe not all the way up to 10, but, like, 6 to 8? I mean, you don't necessarily have the, have the adventure built out for that difficulty level. Oh, and you don't have the levels built out either, right? Yeah, the every character is basically built to go from levels one through four. Okay. I think if I could easily do some sort of expansion where it gave everybody an extra level or two, especially if it was, if it worked well with the story and the adventure that they were going to be in. The reason I asked was I was thinking in terms of them finding some pretty cool swag kind of later in in the level, in the adventure, rather, they kill the second to end boss or something. Sure. And they get some pretty cool gear, but they only get to use it on one set of enemies. Yeah. I'm thinking in terms of like grandfathering in or carrying over this cool gear. That's a very good point and something that we kind of ran into with the most recent adventure. Like, they got the big treasure chest full of stuff, and they literally could only use it on the end boss. Yeah. I reckon that's not entirely the point of Roll for Autism anyway. You know, it's it's an added bonus. It's something to keep them invested. But it's again, it's not the point. No, it, it's definitely not the point. But it is something that at some point I can easily see expanding it where 
you know, you could go from level four to eight or something like that and mm-hmm. then keep certain gear or have gear reappear in some instance. Yeah. So it's it's the next the next tier, basically. Uh, yeah, basically just a higher level of adventure. Yeah. Yeah, and that would be something where you you would want to keep them you would want to give them reason to be excited about stuff that they find or or just story twists or whatever later on. Yeah. Because are they going in with the awareness that it is okay by the time you reach this level we're just about done. So don't get too invested. Like, what's the mindset? To be perfectly honest, the fact that they are going to quote unquote win or get to the end, like, I think that takes over any sort of disappointment at being at the end or. Okay. You know, they're. By the time you get to the end of an adventure, you are eight sessions in. Mm-hmm. So they the investment kind of takes care of itself if the dungeon master kind of does his job and and pumps them up. Yeah, so so there is a there is a f- a finiteness that's always kind of in the back of the mind because they're working toward that goal of winning yes. as opposed to your standard D&D that's I mean the go- the goal is to get the level is to get the that tasty reward but but you always know that there's more of the story to follow through on. Yeah. I will say in this regard Roll for Autism is a bit more like a video game than your standard D&D mm-hmm. session which they like. Yeah, and that's that's by by nature and by necessity and that's that's totally okay. Oh yeah, because I reckon it would be a whole heck of a lot harder to to get through, given that it's in school, uh, pr- primarily in schools. I imagine, right? Yes, yeah. That makes it very difficult to to think on a more long term, regular running scale. Yeah, absolutely. You can't really have a sandbox. It's got to be mm-hmm. very directed in terms of goals and story in general like there has to be a beginning and a middle and an uh, and an end to every half an hour session and then that has has to be pieced together into a full you know 4 hour adventure time mm-hmm. a full doesn't even necessarily have to be a terribly complex one but i imagine there is there is a narrative arc oh absolutely i try to because it yes it is a a um, game that's designed for people on the autism spectrum, but it, mm-hmm. the idea is to make it just as fun for their one-on-one aid if they need, if they want to play, or mm-hmm. the the dungeon master running it. Even right, the DM needs to be entertained. If it's boring and if it's a chore, then no one's going to have fun. Yeah, no one's going to have fun, and I wanted to make it so that anyone can pick it up and play it and so that that social aspect is not just between 
for individuals on the spectrum that maybe it's three and one. Maybe it's, you know, uh, an even split of two and two where you're getting that interaction across the board. Have you ever had an aid play? Oh, yeah. That's awesome. That's so fun. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. It's not so heavy a burden that they wouldn't be able to focus on their student as well as the game themselves. Exactly. Yeah. That's really cool. That's a that's a really clever way to pull them in. And I imagine that it helps to not to immerse the student even more. The kids love when the aide plays with them. That's awesome. And for some reason the aide always is the wizard. Really? I, I don't know if it's because there's so much more reading with all the spells or what. Oh, interesting. Okay. No one picks the wizard outright for some yeah, reason. Yeah, that's funny. Well, cool. Very cool. Yep. We've seen a, a decent amount of potential fodder for, for future games, you know? Oh, absolutely. I, I'm taking notes for sure. Yeah, that's that's really cool. That being said, Brando, if you're still awake. Yes, I am now. On a scale of 1 to 10, how many Pop Rocks would you give the Tetsiriac? Uh, Six. Okay. Six, okay, let's, let's, I guess let's be more specific. Six when they are in greater numbers. Okay. There's a higher potential of danger, but not, I mean, a great number of them could very well take out a party, which, you know, you could rate a great number as 10. However, they are fairly docile and, like we said before, not looking for conflict, so. Right, that neutrality. Sort of brings them down. There's a very interesting, now that we've done nine episodes of this, I've, I've noticed a very interesting pattern that when you specifically rate the creatures, it is almost solely on danger or combat. Yeah, I do kind of focus most on what the opposition would be. Because you've only ever been a player. Yes. So I think you're thinking, you have, you have in mind how you would be encountering these things. That is correct. I think you're absolutely right on that one. So if you had to think of, still thinking as a player, but if you had to play one of these, mm-hmm. how would you rate it compared to the other standard races to play as one yeah yeah as a playable race Um, would it be of interest to you to maybe play one of these i think that it would be of interest for anyone looking for a bit of a challenge i mean they don't seem to have a lot of ability for damage but they seem like they can they can contribute well i mean and we could also there, they would still have a class. Sure. But that being said, there's nothing in their build that makes me think 
oh, this is this is obviously built to be a fighter. Right. This is obviously built to be a caster. I could see it as a fighter. They have a grapple. They have a, a grasp. But that's not... That alone is not reason enough for me to build a fighter to have an just because you have a, basically a free opportunity to right. grab a monk a monk oh yeah there you go a monk i mean that i guess okay now you've convinced me <laughs> because a monk can do stuff with grapples you know you can build into a grapple monk yep. to knock someone prone or to to really hold them so they either get disadvantage or yeah. can't do anything something like that so that does make sense mm-hmm so their society might not be a palace, but a temple. Oh. Yeah. Hey, that's kind of cool. There you go. Yeah, there it is. All right, we've solved that problem. And my work here is done. Any final thoughts on the Titsiriac? I don't believe so. I'm ready to worship at the altar of diphtheria. Yeah, there it is. What is diphtheria? Brandon, you should know no. this. It's a coating in the back of your throat that can lead to death and things worse than death. I shouldn't know that. It's not. Even, it's barely even part of modern medicine anymore. Yeah, they have a, a vaccine for it. It's a bacterial infection. There we go. Yep. Oh, yeah, that's crappy. <laughs> well, given our current state, we may uh, we may start seeing a reappearance of diphtheria too. <laughs> that's that's true. Okay, on that note, have a lovely week, everyone. Come on back next week if you're not being quarantined for measles, and we will discuss another random disease from a random CDC manual. There it is. <laughs> this is random vaccinations, and I'm your host, Nick. I'm Jenny McCarthy. Oh. <laughs> and I'm Dr. Oz. Everyone, vaccinate your cats. Thank you. <laughs>